0: All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other. I can promise you that. You might laugh, you might cry, but you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight. Into those people that you follow, love, and admire. All right. Welcome everyone to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, very excited for this week's guest. Um, you know, talk about entrepreneurship, right? Going through the corporate route, battling different uh, areas within their personal life and professional life to really embracing entrepreneurship and making it happen. This week's guest is, is not just taking the cookie dough industry by storm uh, and serving thousands of ho- households every week, but in doing so, uh, she's helping to reduce the social stigmas associated with addiction recovery and mental health. She has held multiple roles over a 10-year run at Intel prior to starting Dope, has appeared on ABC Shark Tank, and I can't forget to mention her being named on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Please join me in welcoming the queen of cookie dough, and the most—this is crazy—the most sophisticated store owner that Barbara Corcoran has ever met in her life, Kelsey Moreira. Kelsey, thank you for joining the show.
1: Thank you. What a nice intro. Thanks for go. having me.
0: There we go. Well, <laughs> I'm excited for the, the the conversation and just getting caught up uh, prior as well too. So, so as everybody knows, we you know we tell the story and the journey of. Uh, People and, and individuals who have accomplished great things in their life, and we find that we learn the most from those stories, the stories that shape people as we grow up and as we experience different things in life. It's not just the success that we all see on the aftermath, although that would be a lot easier, right, Kelsey, if it's just like
1: <laughs> – Just snap your fingers. That's right. It just happened. Mailbox
0: money, right? <laughs> so when people talk about mailbox money, I'm like – I don't know whether that exists, right? Like, I'd love to figure it out, right? Like what this mailbox money and ClickFunnels thing is all about. Um, So so let's go back to the start. So I know you are born in Dallas, but grew up in Sacramento. And for everyone out there, this is like mid-90s. And I've got to imagine like this time in particular is like a big kind of transition time for Sacramento, right? For like tech is kind of moving in and you're getting ready for the dot-com piece as well, too. So what was it like for you growing up in, in Sacramento,
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, they've come so far too. I feel like even since I left Sacramento, there's just been so much infusion of business and all the people leaving the Bay Area and headed out. So it's come a long way. I'd say it's a whole whole new Sacramento, even from when I was there. And I was in El Dorado Hills, so like suburb outside of it. Um, you know, very good life, like simple, easy life. That was a great place to grow up. Um, as far as like you want for nothing. You know, it was very privileged and fortunate to grow up um, in a community and with a family that was able to provide what I needed. I didn't have to worry about, you know, basic life needs and um, beautiful place. So yeah, and had... Uh, Did
0: you float two... the American River ever? Did you ever? <laughs> yes, <Did> you? yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, they took the tubes out there. You know, it's a fun place. It's, um, there's, I, I love the proximity, like Sacramento was two hours from Tahoe, That's two right. hours from San Francisco. So it was a really like, great place to raise a family. You know, we had a good time growing up there and having all this close by. Um, we were, I was six years old and my parents got divorced and this was in the Sacramento area still. And, uh, they both stayed close by. So nice to like have the divorced parents, but within a city of each other, you know, just kind of neighboring suburbs, um, did the two weeks at someone's house, two weeks at the other house. So I had a pretty, all things considered like, okay, divorce, um, situation, having them still be like able to speak and handle things between the two of us. But, um, yeah, I, I had some turbulence with a relationship with my mom and some challenges I went through there that I think ended up kind of weighing on my mental health as I grew up. This, Divorce just leads to some inconsistency naturally yeah. where you're going to have a different experience at one home than you will at another. And for children in formative years, like that's really challenging to not have one situation. So, um, yeah, I ended up like, having some issues with anxiety and perfectionism, kind of like wanting to be perfect all the time and, and make them proud of me and kind of this like... I think when you have divorced parents, often kids just want to get the attention. And yeah. so for me, like accomplishments became that... Way I could get attention, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. My parents were divorced when I was five, and eventually they ended up moving. I grew up in Kansas City, and they were 45 minutes apart, and I can definitely resonate with that experience. You know, to get such a, a, a dual experience, and you're trying to shift yeah. shift gears, and, you know, it's like, wait, why? Wait, I'm getting yelled at here, like, and I don't get yelled at for this here, and,
1: right. different, like, this is okay there. Yeah, and like, then, why or, or it was okay it? one week, and now it's not the next. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: And so, what, what line of uh, work were your parents in?
1: So my dad's been in the construction industry um, through my whole life and went through, you know, the 08, 09 situation with the crash and everything. It was laid off after 13 years with Lenar. Um, he's still in construction today, more commercial work than residential. And then my mom was in banking for most of the time um, when I was growing up. So manager of a, a bank branch and whatnot. And then um, yeah she 's always been just a big go getter now she 's a loan officer, so went into the mortgage industry when I was in high school. I think kind of made that transition, so more on the finance side of things,
0: yeah, so talk but both
1: very after it you know
0: yeah let 's talk about that <laughs> yeah i mean and what what are some memories that you have there I mean you, again, you talked about maybe struggling with some of the issues with your mom and perfectionism, and you know again that I don't know like I think you actually summarized it pretty well about just like different rules at different places like what are some mm-hmm. memories you have about kind of pre high school years or kind of le- maybe even lessons learned in business or lessons learned from your family around um you know operating as an adult or operating in you know sure. the future
1: just general work ethic stuff too you know I think from a young age like both of my parents were definitely in, in the same uh, same line of speech when it was like you need to get good grades, you need to go to a good college, and you're going to get a good job, you know? Um, We had no real discussions about entrepreneurship growing up, but it was really like grades are incredibly important, you know, doing well in school and doing well at anything you put yourself into is incredibly important. And I never really got – I don't think I was afraid of being chastised if I did bad, but this, like, intensity on how important it was to do good, I think I just kind of took it to the next level where then I was my own worst critic where it was like – I got a B on a test and I'd be in hysterics, you know. So sometimes it'd be like Kelsey, like be a little easier. It's okay, like be a little easier on yourself um, instead of it so much coming from them. But I think that idea of like, you know, you're definitely, you know, you're going to get good grades. You're going to go to a good college. I just remember it was like, like a beaten into my head as a right. kid that 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 was going to be the path, and I'd get a good job and stay there till I could retire. So um, that seemed like it was going to be the steady path. I think. Both of my parents, um, yeah, really instilled in me just a great work ethic and like pride in what I was presenting to the world, whatever it was.
0: Yeah, and so how did like what was what was high school, Kelsey like? Like what were the things? Like you know, were you obviously you talked about grades and you know the pressure there? Yeah. Were you you know into clubs, sports? You know what were what were you, you doing in those formative years?
1: Yeah, you know, I tried my hand at sports. Like I guess all kids, right? I sure, did like soccer when I was little, you know, but I was kid more like soccer. soccer. I was like, what are the snacks? Like, I'm just here for the snacks. My dad jokes that I would just come to the sidelines and be like, can we get, can we get the Capri Suns yet? Like, when is exactly. snack time? Um, so I, yeah, couldn't really hang with that. Um, I ended up just really veering away from like team sports, oddly. I preferred stuff that was like very individual. So ended up getting into track and field and gymnastics and started gymnastics when I was maybe like eight or so, did it till I was 13, 14. Uh, when it was going to get into the competitive, like you got to go every day. And I just, I knew I needed to have more time for school and whatnot at that age than, than competitive gymnastics. But yeah, f- I had this funny thing where I, um, one, I had a hard time trying new things. Funny for an entrepreneur. Cause like you really got to be okay yes. just going, going for it. But as a kid, I, I just leaned into this, like leaned away from the discomfort of not being good at something, sure. you know, I didn't want to do something I wasn't good at. And sometimes like you know if you're a part of a team it's like i i guess i didn't want to let anybody else down yeah. i didn't want to be a part of a team if i wasn't going to be able to perform and others were counting on me to to do good enough so it's funny that i leaned into yeah gymnastics and track and then when i was 14 um this is kind of where like the story i started to get a bit confused on like who i was going to be and and how i would fit in cuz you know getting straight A's in school and like the occasional B on a test, you know, but doing really great in school. Um, I was sort of that, like, I'm kind of friends with everybody person, like a a lot of acquaintances and very few best friends, um, like could easily adapt and move around to all the different cliques and groups at the school for the most part. Um, and then I went to my first party when I was 14, like, off the bat, like, you know, got invited, was like, let's do it, lied to my parents that I was staying the night at a friend's house, you know, and it was actually like the party was down the street. Uh, it's just hilarious thinking back about some of Of these things that I thought I could get away with. Um, but yeah, you know, the first time I drank, I drank till I blacked out and I had had all of this, like I mentioned, stress and pressure on like, that I put on myself to do so good at school. And, um, I don't know, just all how intense my mind was all the time. And alcohol was like, Whoa, I didn't have to think like, it was like, I could just relax and I could just blend in and pretend to be one of the carefree cool kids, you know? And, um, I really leaned into that over the years and sort of let it accelerate when I got this shift into corporate America, you know, at just 16.
0: Yeah, tell, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So, again, obviously, you started kind of working, you know, relatively early, right? You got, you know, you yeah. kind of got your degree. You know, it wasn't like the typical path um, necessarily for some. So what was that transformation like where, like you said, you talked about, you know, you're starting to get into, you know, you're kind of finding out who you are. And then you go kind of into the working world, you know, whereas yeah. a lot of people. Again, you said, you know, you talk about feeling that pressure to go to college, et cetera. But, you know, obviously, you're going to work at Intel, too. So it's not like, you know. It's like, like a slouch, uh, like you're not like waiting, you know, waiting tables, which is what I did at TGI Fridays for two years in college. Um, but you know, like you're going into it. So what was that like? Like, how did that come about and what made you go down that path before, you know, going into ASU?
1: Yeah. So I was 16 and it was the summer before my sophomore year. And, um, one of my neighbors that worked for Intel came over and knocked on the door and my dad answers. And she's like, do you think Kelsey would want an internship at Intel? And he remembers it like it was yesterday because he said, yes, she would. And he yelled (laughs) up the stairs like, Kelsey, get down here. You're going to work for Intel, you know, and um, called me down the stairs and sure enough got an opportunity to become an intern. And that was originally just going to be a summer internship. But um, if I've shared anything about how like intense I was about performing and like being all on it and just like kind of over the top, like really passionate about like anything I did, I just did a great job that first summer. And they asked, yeah, if I would stay on through the school year part time. And so it was this big shift in my life from already kind of having this intensity in one area, having a hard time, maybe finding how I would fit in and then going to, okay, now I leave school at like 11 in the morning and go to work at Intel with people that were 20, 30 years, my senior, um, and work till five. And I have some like really distinct memories of coming home and arriving home at the same time as my parents, you know, might say I'm at my dad's house, my dad and my stepmom get back and we're all three tired from the work day, like <laughs> kicking our legs up on the recliner. Like, you know, and I was thinking like how weird this is that I've sort of like morphed from, you know, it was just school stress to like now I have this other world to dive into. Um the benefits of it are, you know, immense as well. Like I learned an incredible amount in all of those years at such a young age to get to in the early times really shadow some amazing people who, um, you know, making amazing strategic business decisions. How do they think through things? How do they prioritize stuff? What's going to be, um, the considerations before we make a big choice or big purchase or, you know, all these things were just neat to soak up at, at a young age and then stepping into more like management roles. When I was even 18, I was running like the, APAC and through Asia and stuff, kind of these global calls for our um, our corporation. You know, we were running on the business side. I was doing like enterprise processors. So uh, moved into gateways for a bit. I just, yeah, I got to soak up like so much. The tech side was very cool, but just functional business stuff was just amazing to get exposed to through those years. And aligning it with what I ended up doing at Intel, uh, I'm sorry, at ASU, I studied international um, digital marketing and international business, something like that. So I was taking a course for like community management and I was the community manager for the Intel vPro Expert Center. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, like, you know, an essay prompt is like, imagine a scenario where, and I was like, well, yesterday, you know, we had someone. So it was really neat to have that application of what I was doing at work and learning in school. Um, But yeah, this is kind of like, I just, my life was like dual paths, you know, The drinking, partying, Kelsey, and then the Kelsey you would see in the professional life and in school. Um, I still don't know how I did what I did through all those years. And at ASU, I mean, the drinking really went to the next level. Yeah, she was up there. I mean, she was
0: up there from a
1: party standpoint. It's like we had every night of the week pretty much. I think, like, Mondays would be the only ones that we'd take off sometimes um, to recover. And every other night was, you know, there's always something to do, right? When you're done with classes, go and... And drink the night away. So um, those years were just so wild that I was able to, I want to say the word balance, but it was extremely unhealthy. Um, you know, all these nights blocking out, but still performing at such a high level at work. Yeah. Um just How a did, crazy time. And
0: I like, do, you, I mean, when you look back, I mean, obviously there's later and we'll get to it, you know, like do you, do you realize like, that, was there awareness of it then? Or then it's just like, Hey, I'm making it happen. Like this is fine. Um.
1: You know, I suppose like the number of friendships I started to ostracize, you know, like you start to push people away. Cause it's like when you have people close to you, it seems from afar that you're just like the fun party, Kelsey and like, wow, she was really the life of the party. That was a blast. But those that had to like carry you home that night or clean up the, you know, vomit. Cause you threw up in the car or whatever it is. Yeah. You, you end up really pushing away a lot of friends and, um, the stress on my family as well really got to me. You know, I I was hospitalized twice in college um, and for having too much alcohol in my system. And those times, I mean, it's just the horror you put your parents yeah. through, w- worrying about you, you know, each weekend kind of thinking like, God, what what's going to happen to Kelsey this weekend? Um, those definitely weighed on me. And I felt a bit like, what is wrong with me? I just remember like, why can't I get this together? Because I'd say... Oh my God. I'm so embarrassed. I'm mortified about what just happened. I'm never going to let this happen again. Like next weekend's going to be better. I'm going to have a water after every drink. Or then it was, I'm only going to have beer or I only drink tequila. I only have wine. Right. Like I tried every scenario. Cause I was like, I society makes you think you have to find a way to keep alcohol in your life. And so I was just definitely not at that time convinced that I'd need to stop, but I sure was confused. Like why this was so freaking hard for me. And then, you know, starts to affect, um, romantic relationships. Like I had a, um, boyfriend for four years and, you know, that was a really trying time. Like it was so hard to be hurting someone you cared about and saying you're going to be different. And then you just weren't. And I, I didn't realize until 2015 that like, I have a disease, you know, I really do, um, have a disease. I am an alcoholic and I won't be able to keep this in my life if I want to have a relationship with myself or anybody else.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think as, as we get into like that part, because then you graduate and you move back, right? So you move back to mm-hmm. to Sacramento. So you graduate. You're still performing. You bet. You're still at Intel. You're doing all this amazing work. So you you go back yeah. to Folsom. Um, you know, does that start? I guess does that start to change at all? You know, I guess you know as you kind of go back home. Um, you know, obviously, you know, being in college at ASU of all places is definitely yeah. a you know, Mecca for what you described, but you know, mm-hmm. how did you think about making that move back for staying in Tempe or Chandler?
1: Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to come back that a uh, boyfriend I mentioned was in the Sacramento area as well. So we both had, um, he worked for Intel too. So we were like kind of on a plan to get ourselves relocated to, you know, another campus together, but Arizona wasn't going to be in my plan. And uh, like I mentioned, ostracizing a lot of friendships. It was sort of like, you know, lots of drinking buddies and and not a lot of real relationships that I had to hold on to there. So I was okay with, um, you know, geographically leaving. And the problems with alcohol, unfortunately, didn't just disappear. Um, I think what changed is just the frequency of the blackouts. But my problem really was and through all of my drinking was like, when I stopped, I had, when I started to drink, I had a hard time stopping. You know, it was like, once I had one, I was going to have eight and I would end up blacking out in most cases. So it was just never a like, let's just have, go have a drink, you know, never kind of a casual thing. I always, um, went to excess. So that continued. It just wasn't as frequent as when I was in college where there's a party going on every night. It was like when we'd go out on the weekends, you know, I just inevitably every Uh, Every weekend, every other weekend, sometimes every few weeks, like there'd be another episode where I had a really bad night. I was having to apologize for, pick up the pieces. Someone explained to me what I had done, that boyfriend most of the time. Right. So, um, and I think this is just about a year after at 21, I I tried to get sober for four months thinking like, well, I'll just do a reset. You know, if I can sober up, I'll be able to handle it. Like, like yeah, that's like the go-to. Totally. So try that. didn't work. And then, you know, yeah, still struggling until 2015. So after Sacramento, we were moved uh, two years later, got moved up to Oregon, uh, another move inside of Intel to work at the campus up there and a new group for the Internet of Things. And um, yeah, great opportunity, nice move and everything. But yet again, alcohol is still there. And this kind of led me to that final straw to say enough's enough.
0: What was that? So yeah, let's get into it. So obviously, again, you're continuing to move up at Intel. So you've got this, again, these like two two different parts of your life here you know what was it for you that finally was the like aha like all right this is it like i I, you know it's not a it's not a let's it's I will figure out the moderation game it's the like hey this needs to change because i i experienced my dad also you know my dad was an alcoholic growing up and um but then Mm -hmm. when i was seven he went to rehab and got sober and hasn't drank since and so i've got this kind of Wow. interesting relationship with it where I, you know, you, it's seven, you yeah. kind of, rem, you know, like five, six, seven, like, yeah. it's like fun, dad. Like we're going to the bar playing video games and we're like, <laughs> you know, like we're riding yeah. in the back of a pickup truck, like which at the you know, time probably isn't the most safe thing. And so, yeah. you know, I've got kind of an interesting different kind of outside view on it. Like what, what for you was the, the catalyst, you know, for him, I think it was us, like his kids, like, you know, our parents got divorced and it's like, Hey, like you got to get your shit together or this isn't going to be a thing. So what for you was the, uh, the catalyst.
1: Gosh, you know, and in one way it's like that foresight of like, that is going to be my future if I keep drinking, you know, ending up with a divorce with kids or getting a DUI with a child in the car or, you know, it was like, how far do I want to go became the question. Um, but that final straw, you know, I was on a business trip in Barcelona for Intel and, uh, this was September of 2015 and business trips were always, always the worst for me. You know, like, it was like, everybody has that mindset when they're on a business trip for most people <laughs> where they're like, "Whoa, it's kind of like let loose and like, let's yeah. party. And I'm like, yes, everyone's like ready to go. You know, everyone's going to want to stay out and go out, drink and party and we'll have some fun. And, uh, and the tabs on Intel, you know? So it's always like, um, you just always had some excuse where everybody's kind of letting loose. And for someone who abuses alcohol, it's like it just prime for horrible things to, to go down. So, um, this is in Barcelona, you know, I arrived like ten thirty in the morning a day early to be able to settle in and stuff before the conference. Got a welcome bottle of wine in my room and I'm like, well, you know, whatever. I'm in Spain. It's I got a day of vacation, yeah, I'm in I'm Spain. Spain, so crack that open. Uh, went to the pool and met up with some other coworkers and whatnot. And, you know, drink after drink started. And um, I remember very little until coming to at 3.30 in the morning. And I was in a stranger's apartment. I had cheated on my then boyfriend, um, you know, lost my belongings, you know, like where's my purse, where's my phone, the whole thing. Uh, and have no idea where I am in Barcelona. And I just got back to the hotel, start putting the pieces together. And I had the most like clear morning I've ever had in my mind of like, I cannot keep doing this. Um, this is it, you know, enough's enough. And this is not the Kelsey I'm supposed to be. And so I called my Nana, actually my, um, my grandma, and she's 21 years sober when she passed away. So she was my first call that morning to say, I'm ready. I got to get sober and I want to stop drinking. Um, what do I do? (laughs) And like, holy shit. And a lot of tears and all of that. And she said, well, you need to get your butt to an AA meeting. Um, she has a Scottish accent. So I think she said like your wee butt (laughs) or something. (laughs) Um, you know, and it's, it's so sweet. Said you need to find an AA meeting and let's do this thing. And so I found an English speaking AA meeting that morning in Barcelona and I've never had a drink since it'll be seven years this September. So, um, you know, everything falls apart. You're like, the world is literally ending. Relationship was over. I had, I just felt like, you know, I've re- I laid on the floor and this having to move into my own apartment for the first time by myself when I get back from the trip and all this. And I called my dad, like, like everything's falling apart. Like, you know, my world's ending. And he was like, you need to get up off the ground. You need to unbox one box and then the next one one step at a time, you know? And it's like, he's not even an AA person. He's basically dropping AA (laughs) lingo on me one day at a time. Yeah. He was like, you just need to get up. Just do it. One thing like this is it. And it's, I literally look back at that moment. Like that was the beginning of my life. You know, that was really the first step towards creating who Kelsey was going to be and this chance to figure out what I loved and what were my hobbies and who was I really with alcohol out of the way.
0: Yeah, I think especially like through the pandemic too. I mean, one, you know, it's an awesome accomplishment. You know, seven years is—I know it's no easy feat, especially from where you came from. So, um, you know, I, you know, I think in the pandemic, pandemic too, I think it's accelerated this for a lot of people, right? Because you're you're never around coworkers or anything, right? Like, there's yeah. a lot of—I think a, we've seen a lot of it happen behind closed doors during this time, and and so how did you? Mm-hmm. So again, you're you're at Intel, and you, you continue to stay at Intel for the next, you know three years or two, well, two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And again, continue to kind of move up. So what was that transition like for you? So going from being this person who's out, she's doing all these things to now being, you know, sober Kelsey. Right. And, 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 and and again, which, which comes with it this like connotation for people that like, which obviously means like not fun or engaging or hanging out. Right. It's like that can only happen because of alcohol. Um, you know, what was that transition like for you, you know, into kind of being like, cause you already were doing well professionally. And and like, yeah. what what was that like?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the professional side of it was funny. There were a few people at Intel who knew that I maybe overindulged in alcohol, and um, but a lot that just brushed it off, right? They just saw the professional Kelsey and then saw that I was, you know, having a good time, life for the party, kind of. I'm an outgoing personality anyway, so right. me drunk with coworkers was usually a, you know, or, or folks that worked at Intel, I won't even say like tight team coworkers, but just people seeing me in a um, you know, work environment, it was kind of like, well, she's just having a good time. So when I, you know, had to get real that I've got a problem and I've decided to get sober, you know, cause you're, there's a luncheon we're going to go to, or we're having another, um, team event or something. And I got to explain that I'm not, you know, not drinking anymore. Um, and I wanted to share that I, you know, really wasn't going to be drinking. Uh, so I did with a few, um, individual folks and yeah, it was always this kind of like, Oh, really? Like, I had no idea. I had no idea you were struggling because it was such a double life. But um, on the personal side with friends and whatnot, it was kind of a total restart, you know? Not only with the relationship ending, so it was sort of the, like, who's going to get what friends, but also that it was, you know, a whole new Kelsey that's not going to be going out to the bars and getting drinks. So lots of, like, um, internal soul-searching and time for me. You know, I did uh, this is kind of what leads to dope is like getting back in the kitchen. I love to bake as a kid and, um, having all this time on my hands, not hung over on a Saturday morning. I'm like wide awake at 6am, like to go into a yoga class and coming back and just a big, like self-care period of my life to really take care of myself and figure out what I love. And, um, yeah, I was baking, cooking all sorts of stuff, just loving time in the kitchen. It's very peaceful for me. Like following a recipe is so meditative you know it's just like step by step this is what your brain's focused on and sort of like I mentioned about alcohol that quiet for my mind that it gave me I found in baking um you know I really find it's just such a time can just fly by and I have such a nice time doing it so I was making cookies truffles cakes everything I was like bringing stuff into the office and giving it to co-workers and um, ended up, you know, having enough requests of like, Hey, could you make those for, you know, my kid's birthday or this or that? I started monster baby bakery. I was nicknamed monster baby by my family for being (laughs) such a messy eater. (laughs) And so I started this little bakery to do like cakes and, um, you know, cookies and things for, for coworkers and friends. And that was kind of a really nice, like, I don't know, thing to pour yourself into, you know, especially with all this time, like I mentioned, you know, being able to like create a website and make business cards. And I just, I had such a fun time doing it. And that was my first dabble into entrepreneurship. You know, I had no idea how to run a business. Don't have any entrepreneurs in my family, as I, as I mentioned, and, um, just step-by-step step, Google by Google, figure out like what to do to start a food business in, in Oregon and, um, got that off the ground. And it was a great test of things, but economics of making a cake for six hours and selling it for $60 <laughs> do not add up in the long run. So and you're still working to at Intel though, right?
0: Like you're working <laughs> yes, full-time at Intel yeah. and then you moved to San Francisco and you know, you're yeah. managing the hack harassment um, program, which is a pretty serious program. Um, and you know, are you still like, you know, kind of is, is like the baking idea starting to manifest. And then as you move to the Bay area, it's kind of becoming more real. Did were you, did you stay into it until you started dope?
1: Yeah. So I had monster baby when I was in Oregon up until I left. And when I moved to SF, I was like, you know, this hack harassment thing that you mentioned was with Lady Gaga's born this way foundation, you know, fighting online harassment, using machine learning and all this, which was kind of like in its newer stages. So it was very exciting to be a part of. And I thought, let me just, you know, kind of focus on that, pour myself into it. I'm going to be going through this move. I'll put the bakery on the side, but I kept to kept baking for myself, you know, still I was working like maybe 50, 60 hours a week. So there's still plenty of personal time that I was baking for myself on the side from Intel, but not selling it. And uh, something else I picked up though, when I went to SF was an attempt at being a vegan. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm That's in the day, I'm not drinking. A very <laughs> yeah. San
0: Francisco of you, right? Exactly,
1: yeah. I was like, okay, no coffee. And uh, then I'll try being vegan. And I was like, let me just see what I should remove from my life, I guess. I was in sort of this explor- exploration period. And um, I really sucked at being a vegan. I did pretty good with the meats and things, but could not let go of butter. And so my baking was with a, a great baker. Su-
0: yeah, like oh, man. right.
1: It's like literally no. I mean, everything was just killed if you tried to tried to sub it. And oh, people sure. say vegan butter is like just as oh, good. Just and you can use it in everything, but it ain't the same. It's not the same. <laughs> like me, like I
0: like I can never be a vegan. so I'm allergic. I have celiac disease, right? So I'm allergic to wheat oh. wheat flour. So you know, like, look, uh, you know, we'll cook things with rice flour and tapioca, and I'm like,
1: yeah, I know
0: it's not as good. Like, I know, I know that there, now, there's yeah. some cookies because the cookies are like this. Look, if you add enough butter and sugar to a lot of things, like, it can be like a serviceable yeah. thing. But, but no, it's yeah, like I can imagine a baker yeah. not doing butter. It's like again, if if I was to go into baking, it's like people are like, oh, this is great, and you know, it's like, eh, not so much.
1: Yeah, it's tough, tough to mimic. So I. I did, however, have a great substitute for raw eggs. And I was using that in like waffles and brownies and like anything I was making. And so my cookie recipes were now like with butter, but this egg recipe, um, substitute because I never had eggs on hand. So I had that big entrepreneur, like light bulb moment of like, holy shit, (laughs) this cookie dough is safe to eat raw and you can bake it. Um, you know, I was keeping a bowl of it in the fridge to snack on through the week, baking a few cookies when I wanted warm cookies. And, Um, I, I always, like many people would sneak a few bites of regular cookie dough, but it was like, you know, you have that hesitation and you're like, maybe I should just, I'll just have one, you know, or I'll just lick the spoon. I won't like, I won't eat a whole thing. And with this, I was like, no, I could actually snack on it. Like that can be my dessert to have, you know, a couple spoonfuls of it, um, few bites and enjoy it and have cookies. So I was like, this would be fun. You know, I was kind of missing the monster baby bakery, like entrepreneurship components, like I had a little online store for it and the website and all that I mentioned. So kind of letting that go. I think I had that itch, you know, sure. I'm like what could be my next thing. And when I thought of this and got, like I guess stumbled on the recipe, it made me think that you know, everyone loves cookie dough. Why do we like dig it out? Like the little nuggets that are uh, in cookie so dough so ice cream.
0: So good. My wife <laughs> so will like, complain. Just like, go through. Don't eat it. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't care yeah. that it's supposedly raw eggs. Like I'm going to eat it. It's delicious. Totally.
1: Yeah. So that, and you've got like Ben and Jerry's number one selling ice cream flavor forever is cookie dough ice cream. Like people love cookie dough. And, you know, honestly too, like searching through Pinterest when I'm looking for fun recipes and things that I'd bake, I remember this sort of trend kind of starting of like, there seems to be a lot of cookie dough flavored things. Like, Oh, here's a recipe for cookie dough cheesecake or cookie dough cupcakes or, you know, and I was like, why not just eat the cookie dough? So, um, yeah, set off. I had literally like a four hour R and D afternoon where I made a few flavors from the cookie recipe that I, um, had been using for, you know, maybe six months at the time. And, uh, sent it out with me and my friends to ocean beach and did a little taste test. I remember this like, so clear. Like I had these little jars and I had packed the four flavors and we were going to have a little um, bonfire at ocean beach. And I was like, well, I'm going to bring this cookie dough guys. I think I'm going to start a cookie dough company and, um, did a little taste test on the beach.
0: (laughs) I love it. And it was a hit. Yeah, of course. course. They're like, no, this is like, I don't know. It's like, like, I mean, I'm sure you can mess up cookie dough, but I feel like you'd have to, especially with your experience. So, all right. So you do that and then you're still working at Intel full time. When do you, when do you finally say, all right, I'm going to do this thing right? And I'm going to try to make this a thing.
1: So this was February of 2017. Um, Kind of the idea comes, make the flavors uh, and have that first pass of people being like, no, this is delicious. You know, like couldn't stop eating it. Like all of them are gone that day. So I'm like, I should, I I need to do this. Like, let's make it a thing. And at the same time I had been planning my sabbatical and I was going to get 10 weeks off paid from Intel for 10 years of service. And that started April 20th. So if you know the start date of dope, April 20th, you know that I didn't go on this (laughs) big trip I'd been planning. Yeah. I, uh, I was, you know, this big backpacking trip through Southeast Asia. when I told my, Oh yeah, it would have been so cool, but dope is way cooler. (laughs) I'm glad I did what I did. Um, but you know, I remember my dad being like, (laughs) I told him, you know, I'm not going to go on the trip. I'm going to start a cookie dough company. And he was like, what, you know, like at first he'd been all nervous about the backpacking trip, but then when I told him I was going to quit my job, he's like, no, no. Like what about Southeast Asia? It was going (laughs) to be, Oh yeah. He's he's all pro it now.
0: He's like, yeah, no, it sounds great.
1: Yeah, do it. Um, so yeah, I think everyone thought I was having a quarter life crisis. You know, it's like, hey, I'm getting sober. I'm moving to SF. I'm vegan, and then I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> the sound of, might have all well said, I'm going to like go live in the African safari or right, something, right. And, like <laughs> Saharan desert, and uh, join a tribe. I don't, I don't know. They just thought I was losing of my mind, um, going to start this business, and the idea that I might actually quit. Right. So this timing with the sabbatical was just. Really, Sounds really fortunate. Yeah. Again, another privilege to have 10 weeks to try a business. Um, after 10 years of service, usually people want to take a break, and instead I'm like, nope, let me just start a company. Um, but it was a great testing period. So 10 weeks to see if it would work or not. I spent those next few months, February to April, getting all things ready. Like, what license would I need to start a business? Get the website, bake some t shirts. I got a little food cart built for like $500 in Soma in San Francisco. And set out to Dolores Park on April 20th. Um, this is a park in San Francisco with plenty of willing participants to exactly. try some cookie dough. Exactly. I'm thinking, like, well, <laughs> you
0: kind of rigged your test market in Dolores yeah. Park where everyone's just you know, getting stoned and you know, hanging out. Totally.
1: Yeah. They were looking for, for some snacks. So, served the willing market there. And, um, you know, hilariously, I'm like, edible cookie dough, you know, edible cookie dough. And people are like, Edibles. Okay. I've never had edibles. Like how much should I have? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like sugar highs only. It's just cookie dough. You know? So we had a, lots of explanations. It still today continues, but I, uh, we sold out in three hours. I had taken a hundred pounds of cookie dough. There had a commercial kitchen in Oakland that I'd um, gotten to let me in to make this dough for the first day and yeah, sold out. And the feedback was just amazing. And it kind of gave that validation of like, people love the recipe. They're willing to pay the price that I'm asking. And at the time, I think it was like, Six ninety-five for one scoop, um, maybe eight ninety-five for two and twelve ninety-five for three or something. And uh moved through it super quick. So it was, yeah, really validating that this idea could work. People really do love cookie dough. And then came the like, okay, now what? Like what yeah, exactly. what's the right place? Where do you want to sell it? What do you want to do? And my answer for the first, I'd say two years was like anywhere that would let me, you know. I was like at a food park seven days a week. We we're doing corporate catering for offices and um, you know, birthday celebrations, like whatever it would be, all sorts of catering and pop-ups until in September of, um, 2017, I got a call from pier 39 that they had a space available on the pier and they loved my concept and wanted to be, know if, wanted to know if I would be interested in a storefront, um, on the pier. So that was awesome. That's cool. <laughs> that, that was the first big step into a real storefront. You know, at the time we just had, uh, a kiosk that we opened in September, um, that was on market street and it was 10 by 10, but at least we had like a physical space. So that was a blast. The grand opening for that was on my two year sobriety anniversary. So I, uh, I've had the stars align on my sober birthday. It. Something cool keeps happening. <laughs> I
0: love it. And then what does that early expansion look like before shark tank?
1: Yeah. So this is, uh, I went to film for shark tank, September of 2018. So there's just about a year in the story till then. And really that was growing the pure 39 store, um, starting to get kind of, you know, you get the first handful of employees and things. I think it was about two months into the business that I got my very first employees part-time to help work events so that I could like keep booking events. You have that realization that like you can't grow the business if you're the only one working Mm -hmm. in the business. So um, yeah, kind of baby steps from there and and then growing that pier store. You know, our first summer on the pier was like 20,000 new customers a month at that store, which was just wild um, to have so many people coming through and international too. You know, people from all over the world getting to come and see. And then as we built an online presence with social people wanting and like seeking out coming to dope when they'd come to San Francisco, which was awesome. Um, you know, that was really, really cool. getting messages from people that are like I'm in coming. the UK being like, we can't wait to come visit, you know, we're coming next week. What flavors will you have? And yeah, that was a, it was a blast to have kind of this like physical representation of my little, um, you know, my dream with dope. Yeah.
0: And what, I mean, it, it, did you start out? Cause obviously, you know, you use the platform and, you know, dope for hope to talk about social stigmas around addiction, mental health. Did you always have this mindset of kind of intertwining the two or, you know, when does that start to come about as well too, where you really want to make, you know, I guess the, make this a part of the story too.
1: Totally. Like it's a very cool full circle moment of like dope was created because of my sobriety and now it exists to help other people around sobriety and mental health. So it's a fun, um, fun concept that I was able to get these things together and even the product itself like having this little moment of self-care and like just treat yourself have something sweet indulge in it and you know we're not trying to make this dessert into a health food just like it'll make you feel good and it's nostalgic so we think it's really good for your mental health Um, but Dope for Hope was formed in September of 2017 was the first time that this kind of came to my mind Um, I mentioned that the two-year sobriety anniversary was the grand opening of the kiosk And for that event, the grand opening on Facebook, I had made a little event, and I said, in celebration of the founder's two-year sober birthday, if you come up and say it's dope to be sober at checkout, you'll get 20% off. And we started getting all of these messages from people that were like, you know, I'm 13 years sober, and I've never told anyone. It's really cool to see you sharing this. Um, Someone else, two weeks sober, and she was asking if I knew of any good meetings in the city. And I just had another light bulb moment of like, oh my God, like what a conversation this needs to be. Look at this little beacon I put out that's like, raise your hand, right? Like I'm like, hey, I am, you know, I'm sober and and proud that I was like celebrating it. And to have that let other people, like a little lighthouse, you know, let other people come and see that it was okay to talk about it. I'm like, hell yeah, we got to use this platform for some good. I mean, I think I had maybe 5,000 followers on Dope's Instagram at the time, but it felt like there's people who like could listen and that I could help. And so let's make dope about more. And I knew I'd keep growing the company, you know? So it's like, if this could be about more than just cookie dough, like how fulfilling for me and how many lives we could touch. Um, So yeah, I started dope for hope. And our whole goal is to break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery. We, do a ton for inside the company. So for the employees and trying to help our employees bring their full selves to work, we're a designated recovery-friendly workplace, which is super fun, exists in like 28 states now. Um, A great program to help with like mental health policies and you know really how you encourage a culture change to talk about the real stuff in life and not have that like employer-employee boundary that typically exists. Uh, And that includes a lot of vulnerability from my side to say when like I'm not, not doing okay or not taking care of myself like I need to. And here's what I'm working on and a very open conversation with my staff. So they know I'm a human too, and that I'm okay with them being humans. Um, And then for our community. So like very authentic, open conversation with, with the community. We do mental health Mondays, little dose of hope or uh, mental health resources shared through social and in emails. And then the last part is donations. I think at Intel, I learned a lot of this um, about, You know how much a company could do to give back like intel sent me for two weeks to the philippines on a um, education service corps trip that they do to send employees out to go and help um we were bringing technology to a school that had been devastated by a typhoon and like you just see this mass amount of money being given from a company who's surely making plenty right but they aren't keeping it all for themselves it was like what could we do to help the world so Yeah. I thought, you know, how could I incorporate some of that with the money that dope could generate to help give back to nonprofits that are already making such an impact in the space? I don't, I don't need to recreate the wheel. I think I saw a lot of that when I was with hack harassment, we were working with different nonprofits and seeing like, Oh my God, wait, you guys need to know so-and-so like you guys are doing the same things. Like you should know this group and that group. There's, there's just so much repetition and um, yeah, i found some amazing partners in the nonprofit space, and we've donated more than sixty thousand dollars to date to to help this issue. So, the She Recovers Foundation is our beneficiary for Dope for Hope today, and um, they're amazing. It's for women who are in or seeking recovery.
0: Well, we will link to all of that as well. And yeah. As we, I want to, I want to hear. I know we've got to wrap up here in, in ten minutes or so, but I want to hear. So, um, you're doing all these amazing things. You're growing this business that you're passionate about. You're now. You know, able to bring kind of all these things together, and then Shark Tank happens, right? This is 2019. Um, what was like? What like what happened then? You know, as you you're you're on the show, we'll link to the show as well too, so people can check it out. In your segment, um, like what was life after, right? So you've got this business, it's growing. You're 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 doing some amazing things in the community and broader online community. Um, and then again, this this airs, like you said, you shot it earlier, but it airs in, in I think May. Um, what, what was that like after? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. It was such a wild journey, honestly, from May, 2019 to today has been like, you'd think it's an entirely different business that I'm running now than I was running then. Um, you know, sales wise, we did $150,000 in 2017 and then just shy of a million in, uh, 2018, um, in 2019, we did 1.2 million. And that is the year that Shark Tank airs. We're very light on e-commerce in 19. You know, it was like we had a site, but it wasn't really a big focus, maybe doing 30 orders a month or so. And when Shark Tank aired, um, (laughs) since I didn't talk about, I didn't talk about e-commerce so much on the show. So we actually got maybe like 400 orders a week for the first couple weeks after it aired, but it wasn't like a massive thing. You know, Shark Tank these days is very much like Uh, There's no more everyone sits around the TV and watches prime time. Like people just watch shows on their Hulu, you know, when they want to catch up on stuff. So it sort of like trickled through and uh, certainly like, you know, a nice boosted session. So I think we had like 50,000 people come to our site when it, when it aired. So fun to see like this blast of people checking out if we were still around. And I was on there raising money for the store in Vegas, which we had just opened in March of 19. So now had this like flagship store on the strip in Vegas that was, Beautiful. I loved it. Um, we had closed our, uh, we ended up closing our San Francisco store, uh, in 2019 though, about August of 19 cost of doing business in SF was just getting out of control. And our Vegas store was just beautiful and perfectly fine. And like, let's just focus our efforts there and start up another business channel to get hyper-focused. Right. So like, let's start rolling into e-commerce a little heavier and not have this like Okay, we do catering, and we do a little wholesale, and we're a little bit in e-commerce, and we kind of, you know, it was like we were dabbling in way too many things, so got really focused. We kept saying 2020 is going to be the year of focus, and in November of 19, we launched our Shopify site, so a new version of our website, and started ads on Facebook, and we went from $50,000 of online sales in 19 to $2.5 online in 2020. Uh, just a huge shift in the business, closed our San Francisco storefront in October of 2020, you know, with the pandemic like decimating tourism uh, that wasn't going to fly and moved into having this uh, rather large online business where our mission could even like come across even cleaner, you know, and even more of a relationship with customers. Like now we have like 160,000 person email list, you know, how amazing to get to share what we want to share with people in such a direct way. And, same thing on social media. It's just awesome to have this connection instead of, oh yeah, we went into a scoop shop on vacation and left. It's like, this is really building a, a community now. So our next big step is getting into retail. We have some major launches in the next few months here. We're launching at Walmart and Costco. There so you, you guys are, you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love so, it.
1: So yeah, it's, it's a fun thing, but big change, you know, so much since Shark Tank, we were 800,000 in lifetime sales and now we're at 9.4 million um in lifetime sales. So, so the sharks missed out.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> For sure they did. Let me ask you this, what do you like what's next, right? So you're doing all these cool things. You've got again you talk about going into retail. So as we kind of wrap up here like, what's next for you? Like, what are some things that you're really excited about, whether it's, you know, with the Dope for Hope pro, you know, uh, program, whether it's with the business, just you personally, like, what are the things yeah. that you're excited about in you know, 2022 and beyond?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, entrepreneurship is like getting an MBA every six months and something else, you know, so I feel like I'm just diving into a whole new world with retail, particularly for the side that I really focus on with the sales and marketing components of it. It's it's a whole new world to figure out how best to market that you're in a new grocery store and what that's going to be like to get customers in there and help make sure the velocity is is good and where we need it to be is great, really. (laughs) Um, And so that's, it's been fun. That's a, that's a really exciting part. Like getting to see this launch at Costco and Walmart in particular are going to be really big moments in my life to walk into a Costco and see this like two pound bag. Every Costco, all Walmarts, it's going to be everywhere. So we're going to be in Costco through all of Texas. It's the Texas region. So there's like 41 warehouses. Um, It includes like uh, Oklahoma and Louisiana. There's a couple out there as well. But yeah, anywhere you are in Texas, if there's a Costco, we're there. And then for Walmart, it's um, 200 stores through California and Nevada for the, for the start here. So yeah, it's going to be a blast. We're in the Walmart that's in my, my dad's city, like Placerville, California. So we
0: have to like, <laughs> yeah. the, like, we have to be in that one. Yeah.
1: Like you need to go by every day at lunch and clear the shelves out. You know, we need to move the product. <laughs> so right. they're going to be like, wow, this one store in Placerville is just doing amazingly well.
0: <laughs> it's like one, um, one guy buying it every day.
1: Yeah. So I think that's fun. And, you know, there's new ways with the retail side to think about how dope for hope comes to life. And I'm really focused on trying to find the right retail partner who wants to do something like a donation matching campaign for recovery month in September or mental health awareness month in May. Um, and see, you know, that's some big voices. If you can get a company like say Albertsons or Walmart or someone like that to, to partner with you on something, um, a big mover, right? There's not a lot of, not a lot of talk out there still about addiction recovery from a big corporate stance. You know, it's still this sort of shrouded topic. Um, so I'm hoping to break that. And I think, you know, retail is a great place to do it.
0: I love that. Well, look, your story has been awesome. Like it has been just amazing, um, just to hear and learn, you know, your journey. And again, as we, you know, we do on the show talking about people's experiences. And again, as people see where you are now and and just the ability to follow your passion, to continue to write your ship and go through all these brave moments, you know, to completely change your life, to align toward what your passion is and to be successful at the same time doing it. That if, you know, and if you're out there, we'll link to a lot of the the sites that uh, Kelsey mentioned as well too. So I'm sure a lot of you listening, um, may be experiencing some of this as well, too, that, you know, again, through the pandemic, and, you know, my background as a sales leader, and, you know, CEO now, but, you know, especially in sales, you know, if you're not out drinking or staying out till midnight, you know, you're just not a part of the the crew. And there's yeah. a lot of people that, you know, their lives have been, you know, they, they're forced to kind of live these dual lives. And so what I hope is that for a lot of my audience that listens that that is in the business world, in sales or marketing, where I think that this is... Just as I mean, it's prevalent in a lot, but I really hope that you can listen to this. And if you feel like this resonates, you can check out some of the things that Kelsey's doing and the links that we'll put there to take that first step. And so I think, you know, you sharing this story with a lot of our audience and your success and, you know, doing the things that you love, I think is going to touch a lot of people. So I really, really enjoyed the conversation and you, you sharing here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. And I think it's like, I hope if nothing else, it's a call to take some inventory. You know, like if you're listening, just stop and take five minutes. Think about like what's adding value to your life these days and what's not. What's draining you? What could you remove? And um, it's never too late to change, change your habits, change your ways, That's change right. your life.
0: And you never know where yeah. that'll be two years later. You could be running a multi-million dollar cookie dough empire. Um, You
1: just never know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Kelsey, again, big, big thank you for joining me. And thank you everyone for tuning in. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap show.
1: Have a dope day.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did too, of the Jake Dunlap show. Uh, Really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are, the success the trials and errors. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com. That's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests, additional details, prep notes. We're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com. So go ahead, go over there. You can subscribe there as well too. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show.